We ask you to turn to the book of Luke this morning, the book of Luke, as we think about the incarnation of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We have the account written here in the book of Luke about his physical birth, about his coming into this world, and we know the outcome of that, that this is the body that was prepared. This is the body that the God of heaven gave uh, for the ransom of the sins of his people. So we're going to begin reading here with verse 1 of the book of Luke chapter 2. Now, we're dealing with this in this area with the with Israel. Now, it was interesting to find out, and I probably knew it at one time, but I don't know what I've forgotten all the time, but it, the uh, part of property that was given to the 12 tribes in Israel was about 1,200 square miles. And it's interesting to find out that that 1,200 square miles would fit in the state of Oregon 80 times. It's about the size of Gilliam County. And so sometimes I think of this as a great big piece of property that we're dealing with. And we're going to be looking at some events that took place in the in Bethlehem, but Bethlehem has played an important part throughout Old Testament history. It is here that we find that Rachel was buried, and it is here where uh, Ruth went uh, and was married to Boaz. This is the city of David that we're talking about here in Bethlehem. And it's not far from this that many events took place. We have the sun stood still in the days of Joshua, not far from here. And we have the place where David slew Goliath is not far from here. Uh, We have great events in the Bible taking place in relatively close proximity to Bethlehem. But the greatest event that is going to take place is this, in the fulfillment of the prophecy of God, the promise of God, that the Lord Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. That's what the Old Testament scriptures had to say. Now, if we look at this, we find out that his mother was not a resident of Bethlehem. His mother was a resident of Nazareth. Nazareth and Bethlehem are about 100 miles apart. So it's going to take some effort on her part to get there, but I don't think at the moment she understood what was going to take place. But there's a requirement comes from a from a great and mighty and powerful monarch. His name is Caesar Augustus. And he is in Rome, and he sends out an edict. He sends out, uh, the interesting word is dogma. That's what the Greek word is. He sends out a dogma that his known world will be taxed. And that's what that word world means in that passage of Scripture. But let's look at this. It came to pass... In those days, now these are the appointed days, the Lord has promised to send His only begotten Son at the appointed time. We can go back to the book of Daniel, and we find out this is when it's going to take place. Now, I can't calculate that, and apparently some of those people that were around at that time did not calculate that, but it was a sign from God. He will be born at this time. It came to pass in those days, there went out a decree. This word decree is the word dogma. We find that word, the Greek word, found several times in Scripture, and we'll look at a couple of them in a minute. And this decree was from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be taxed. Now, Rome 
is about 1,400 miles from uh, the city of uh, that this or t- from the place where this is to to be sent it's to Israel it's about 1400 miles away so you know we read in the bible that god has knowledge of what we have need of before we ask and so often the answer arrives on the day that it's needed and yet it's been purposed long before that so this is an action that god has moved upon this great caesar augustus uh, that his known world, and the word taxed here is not for payment of tax, but it's the word that means to be enrolled for taxation. Now, taxes is going to follow, but this is an enrollment, and he's requiring that everybody goes to the city uh, where they have their register and make sure that they are enrolled for this taxation. Now, it's very important to realize this, that Joseph and Mary were both had their records, their registrar, was in Bethlehem. In the book of Ezra, would you turn with me to the book of Ezra chapter 1 for just a moment? We ran into the same principle in the book of Ezra when we went through that great book about the return of the children of Israel after the 70 years of captivity. But in the book of Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1, We find these words that could be applied to what we find here in the book of Luke chapter 1, or Luke chapter 2, verse 1, that there was a decree sent out from Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar Augustus was just a person in the hands of Almighty God to fulfill his eternal purpose. Caesar Augustus thought he was very important, but God had him just as a minion, just as someone that was his servant. And it tells us here in the book of Ezra, Now in the day and the first year of Cyrus king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus king of Persia that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also into writing. This thus saith Cyrus king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So this is the, the time that the Lord used uh, Cyrus. He stirred him up. He's the one that caused him to do God's bidding, God's work. Now he's a pagan king. He has essentially the same religion that Caesar Augustus has, and he has the same religion that we have by nature. But we're thankful that God uses people. He used them. this man uh, Cyrus, he uses Caesar Augustus, and he is always using those folks to fulfill his eternal purpose. And it is God's eternal purpose that his only begotten son, come in the flesh, would be born in Bethlehem. So Ezra, here in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, tells us about how that happens, and we could apply that to Caesar Augustus, so many miles away there in the, in the city of Rome. And we also find in the book of the Proverbs that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and as rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. So this is God's act upon this, that he moved upon Caesar Augustus that there would be a taxation, and all the inhabited land that was under the rule of Caesar Augustus, the Roman Empire, all of that would be enrolled for taxation. There was the need for more money by Rome, and here's how it's going to happen. The Romans would 
They ruled the world, their known world. They didn't rule uh, this part of the world. And they, they should be enrolled for taxation. Now that word enrolled that we find here, or that, uh, that they should be taxed, let's go back there to the book of Luke chapter 2, that all the world should be taxed. That word means to be enrolled. And it's mentioned in the book of Hebrews. The Greek word is, and it's translated a little bit differently there, and it tells us how this word is used. So if you turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 12, we have this word taxed in its more correct form here in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23. It talks about the church here in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23 and uses this word in an enrollment sense. It says to the general assembly, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. That word written means enrolled, or over in the book of Luke, it's translated taxed. So here it has more correct um, uh, translation, to be written in heaven, enrolled in heaven. That's a nice uh, statement that God makes that fulfills what he also has said in other places, that the names of his people are enrolled or written in the Lamb's book of life. So this is what is going to happen here, that There's going to be an enrollment, and they must go to the city of their fathers. And it tells us there in the book of Luke, going back to the book of Luke again, it tells us here that in verse 3, there's this enrollment first happened during the the, uh, time of the Cyrenus governor of Syria. And it says in verse 3, And all went to be taxed or enrolled, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Another passage of scripture that we ran into over there in the book of Ezra I'd like to look at because it has to deal with this very thing. There's a registry in Bethlehem that had the descendants of King David. Now, by God's wonderful mercy and grace, Joseph and Mary both are direct descendants from this king, this King David. And if you turn with me to the book of Ezra chapter 2, we find there in Ezra chapter 2 that it was a very significant thing that you have a registry. Ezra chapter 2, and we find there in verse 61 and 62 that there were some people that said that they were Levites And it tells us here that they could not find their registry. They could not find their register. So this was a very important thing that the Jews kept. Where is their lineage? You know, the bunch of Pharisees came to the Lord and says, We be of our father Abraham. Well, it was very important that they could trace their line back to Abraham. And they used that as inclusion into salvation, that by this lineage that they could do that. Well, we find that with Joseph and Mary, they were not using that as part of their philosophy or part of their religion because we find out that Mary recognized the fact that she was going to bring the Christ child into this world when that angel appeared unto her. And when the angel appeared unto Joseph and to Mary both and says, his name shall be called Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. So she's not going down there to prove that uh, this is her religious uh, uh, travels. She's going down there because she is 
part of the family of David. And it tells us here in the book of Ezra chapter 2 and verse 61, and of the children of the priests, the children of Habahiah, the son of Koz, the children of uh, Berzeliah, which took a wife of the daughters of Berzeliah, the Gideonite, it was called after their name, and they sought their register among those that were reckoned by genealogy, but they were not found. This was a tragedy for them, because if they couldn't find their registry, they couldn't find their genealogy, then it says, therefore they were, as polluted, put from the priesthood. Well, when we were there, we found we looked at this as a statement that if we can't find our pedigree in Christ, we just don't have any hope at all. And this uh, uh, fulfills what we read over here in the book of Luke, that Joseph and Mary both were traveling down to Bethlehem by a edict, by a decree, by uh, a statement, a law made by Caesar Augustus in Rome, 1,400 miles away. Now, this was going to require them to travel about 100 miles, probably by foot, maybe by donkey. But we find that this travel is going to take place. And as we go back to the book of Luke, it tells us there, they went up there, and it tells us in verse 5 of this passage of Scripture, to be taxed or enroll with Mary, his espoused wife, and she was being great with child. Now, we find here just a little bit about the power of this decree. You know, to most people, they say, well, we're going to put this off and we'll go down there later. Well, we're going to have this baby born here in Nazareth, and then we'll go down there and we'll enroll. But it seems that this decree was so serious, and the pressure was put upon them to go. And then we find out just how much involvement Almighty God had in this, because she is not in the right place for the time of the birth of this son, and it's been promised that he would be born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. That's what that word means. Bethlehem means house of bread, and she needs to travel down there. Well, she is great with child. I mean, she's in her later stages of pregnancy. She's, uh, uh, she's heavily with child, and in fact, the amount of time it took to get down there was the amount of time it took for her to have that child. So it's very late in her pregnancy. And uh, she was great with child, and it tells us there that uh, that uh, he that Joseph went down with his espoused wife. Now, in the book of uh, let me get there. In the book of uh, uh, Matthew, chapter one, would you travel over there with me? The book of Matthew, chapter one. Joseph has been informed. He realizes that his espoused wife, his engaged wife, is pregnant, and he doesn't want to make her a public example. Now, we find out in the days of the ministry of the Lord Jesus, when a group of Pharisees brought a woman that had been caught in the act of adultery, they were going to go stone her. And this is the uh, probability of what was going to happen to her, that and Joseph didn't want to make her a public example. He didn't want that to happen to her. He loved her, but he decided that he would no longer go further with this marriage contract. And it tells us there in, uh, in the book of Matthew, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 22, Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, 
and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which be it interpreted as God with us, fulfillment of the book of Isaiah. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. They went through a marriage ceremony of some kind. And it says, he knew her not till she was brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So he was obedient to the purpose and will of Almighty God. He took her and married her. She is his wife. She is pregnant. He's not the father. He realizes that. And we thank God Almighty for that because human involvement in this, a human father, would have destroyed our Savior. There would be no salvation at all. We needed to have that, that son that was promised from old that would have no human involvement except a receptacle, the womb of Mary, and the Holy Spirit and God the Father producing that body within her womb without human involvement. We're just so thankful that that's our Savior. He's without sin. He's without reproach. He's without all of those things that would carry if we he was born of a human father. There would nothing be able to be done to make him an appropriate sacrifice because nothing can be done with us to make us an appropriate sacrifice for all our sin. Mary had up to this time been living in the wrong place for the birth of the Messiah. She'd been born, uh, living in Nazareth with her husband. He is, we know that he was a carpenter. Joseph was a carpenter. And we know also that uh, as she traveled down there to be enrolled, she is going to fulfill the eternal purpose of Almighty God that has been directed to through Caesar Augustus, a pagan king over there in Rome, the word gets over here and throughout the known Roman world that there's going to be an enrollment for taxation and she is moved by this with such urgency that she is not left there to have her child in Nazareth and uh, to have a comfortable birth in her home, but she is moved down here to Bethlehem to have the birth that was involved by God. While they were there, she is God's instrument. She is moved by God Almighty to be there at the appropriate time. Going back to the book of Luke, we find these words recorded in the book of Luke chapter 2, that, uh, and so it was while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. The days were accomplished. And it says in verse 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. The days were accomplished. God put her in the right place at the right time so that this one, this one that was flesh, this one that was was uh, God, was united. This body that was prepared, they were reunited in the womb of the Lord Jesus, in the womb of Mary. We have the God-man, Emmanuel, here, born just as it was promised of old. And she brought forth her firstborn son. You know, we have to look at the scriptures because... She is going to have more children. There are a theology among certain groups is that she was a, uh, she's been the eternal virgin. Well, she had other children. She had daughters and she had sons. Just turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, that uh, she was going to be Joseph's wife and bring children into this world through Joseph. In Matthew chapter 13, we read about this, that she was the virgin 
that God used to bring in his everlasting eternal son. But here it tells us in number or Matthew chapter 13, verse 54, And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Which hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? So when he's teaching in the synagogue, those who knew him from early years, they said, how in the world could he be saying what he is saying with such authority that he is saying it? And then it says, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? So they recognized the fact that he had half-brothers and he had half-sisters. He is the only begotten Son of God. He is the firstborn child of Mary. She, she brought forth this Son into the world without human involvement, and she was the one chosen by God from eternity past to be the vessel that would be used to bring him into this world. Blessed art thou, Mary, and blessed will be the fruit of thy womb. And the church recognizes the fact how blessed that is, that he, the God-man, would come into this world and lay down his life a ransom for them, pay their eternal sin debt for them. Mary took great care of this one that was born. If we go back there to the book of Luke, we find that she took great care even under the circumstances, even being away from home, even being not in a in a pleasant environment, not in a motel room, not in a hotel room, not in an inn room, but she is in the main, in, out in the stable area, and it certainly does depict the, the humbleness of our Savior. He did not come born like a normal king, though he is the eternal king of heaven. Here it says, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. You know, that is so pictorial that he was swaddled. He was swaddled. He was taken care of. His navel was cut. He was swaddled. He was wrapped. And you know, if we just go for a little bit over to the book of Ezekiel, we find out how, how different that is from what our natural birth is. Here in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel the prophet is used by God to be, depict our natural state. Now, we may have been taken care, great care of in a hospital. We may have been taken great care of in a home. We may have been born and washed and put in nice warm clothes, but it didn't affect our heart. That's the problem. And this picture of Christ being swaddled is uh, certainly mentioned over here in the book of Ezekiel chapter, chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16, beginning with verse 4. In Ezekiel chapter uh, 16 and verse 4 says, And as for thy nativity, as for thy nativity, in the day that thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither wast thou washed in wa water to supple thee, and thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. We have a big problem here. Our natural estate says you're just unable to take care of this spiritual condition that you're born into the world of. Now, I believe it is so significant when we get over here to the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as Mary took care of him, she was very careful. You know, 
Where did she get that stuff? Did she bring it along? Well, whatever happened, God provided for her to wash him and swaddle him and salt him and take care of his navel. He was this, the Son of God, come to us in the flesh of Jesus, and she paid particular attention to him that he would depict what it is to be born from Almighty God. Now, the problem is, we have a problem. It's illustrated here. And then in verse 5 of that chapter, Ezekiel chapter 16, None I pitied thee to do anything these unto thee, to have compassion upon thee, but thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person and to the day that thou wast born. It's going to be significant as we follow this in the book of Luke chapter 2 that there were going to be those eyes that came and paid particular attention to him. Shepherds in the field were notified about him coming, and they came and saw him. Now, as we follow this out, let's just go a little further. We have the cure for the problem that's brought up there in the book of Ezekiel is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, last Sunday we mentioned this verse in the book of Hebrews, but I want to go to it again, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 shares with us that this is God's solution for the horrendous problem that natural man is in, that we're born in. Spiritually speaking, when we're born into this world, we're not swaddled, we're not clothed, we are, our navel is not taken care of, we're not salted, and in ultimately cast out into the field. We're just out there like with everyone else. But here in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, we find these wonderful words that are mentioned about the Savior. Wherefore, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. This is the answer to the problem. A body thou hast prepared me. And that's what we see in our mind as Mary brought forth her firstborn son. We see in our mind. We don't have to be there and looking at the scene. We don't have to be there watching the scene. We, by faith, believe exactly what God said here in the book of Luke and in the book of Matthew. And then we find the fulfillment of it through the four Gospels about this one that came in a perfect body. God come in the flesh, this perfect body, no sin upon him, no sin in him. And he walked this world as we do, yet without sin. So how wonderful it is that this is brought up. Now, in the book of Hebrews, back up just a little bit there in Hebrews chapter 2. We find another portion of this wonderful passage of Scripture of the book of Hebrews, but we see Jesus. Now, Jesus is that one born. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ. Now, you look that word up, we find that that word and Messiah in the Old Testament are the same words. He is the anointed one. Whenever we read about the Messiah, we're going to read about Christ. And that's what one uh, that uh, one that was... Uh, Jesus noticed there long before he came up to him and he, he said, we know Messiah was come. Well, here we have. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor 
that we, he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now, if we follow this out, we find out who God is talking about is every man. They're his ones that he was like, his brethren. That's what he's speaking about here. And so we find this birth of the Lord Jesus in Bethlehem, the appointed place at the appointed time. Mary would have been, you know, in the flesh, would have been pleased to give birth to that son there at Nazareth, her familiar setting in her home. But she is imposed upon to travel a hundred miles from Nazareth down to Bethlehem and there to have him born where he was purposed to be born. And she brought forth her firstborn son, as it tells us there in the book of Luke, brought forth her firstborn son. Luke chapter 2, she brought forth her firstborn son. She was delivered, brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Certainly speaks highly of the position that the Lord Jesus Christ has among natural men. (laughs) There's no room for this one in their line. Now, out in the fields, there were some shepherds watching their flocks by night. And to me, the message that they gave to them in verse 11, verse 10 and 11, the angel said unto them, the angel of the Lord said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, all of God's people. This is the joyous message. This is the gospel. This is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophets. This is the fulfillment of all the testimony of the prophets and the Psalms and the writings. This is the fulfillment that there's good tidings, the gospel. This is the good news. Hope is here. Help is here. Salvation is here for his people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Now notice how they identify him. A Savior. A Savior. Which is Christ the Lord. Now they don't mention his name Jesus here, but they give us all of his titles. They give us all of the expectations. He is in the city of David. He's a Savior, the Messiah, the Almighty God, Lord. Savior, which is Christ the Lord, the Messiah that was promised from old, promised before the foundation of the world, declared in the book of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, mentioned by all the prophets that hope is coming, salvation will be delivered. He had a lamb slain from the foundation of the world, and on that promise, All the Old Testament people that God moved upon with the new birth were saved, set aside, put in glory. And then it goes on to tell us here, And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. One more time, the emphasis, this is not the normal birth. This is not the normal son. This is not what you'd normally find after the birth of a baby. This is the Savior. This is Christ the Lord. And He will be in swaddling clothes. Well, in some way, that's going to be a sign to them. And I believe it's a sign that we find there in the book of Ezekiel, 
we by nature don't have all of that happen. We, the spiritual realm of humanity is so fallen. We don't have that great work, but we are dependent upon that great work of God giving us swaddling clothes, that robe of righteousness, and that he takes care of our life. He hooks us into Christ. We're no longer attached to that relationship that we had with Adam, except in the flesh. Our spirit is attached to Christ. We have that life-giving flow from Christ through our spiritual navel. And we have been salted. We have been promised. Uh, Salt is so often a picture of the covenant. And it's a sign to us of the covenant of grace. And we have been picked up. We've had noticed. We've been loved by this one who came and found us lying there out of nowhere. He found us in that position. And then it tells us that these, these shepherds went and they saw the first observers. They saw this one, this child laying in a manger. That Verse 15, it came to pass as the angels were gone from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Christ the Lord has made known unto us the Lord. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph in the babe lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known abroad the saying that was told to them concerning this child. Now that's just the normal thing to take place. When we see Christ, we're going to go tell people about it. He's the only Savior. He's the only hope. He's the only one. He's the one that was promised by the Father before the foundation of the world. And He's that body that was prepared. And He came for the suffering of death. And as we go through the Gospels, we find towards the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, He was taken to the cross. He laid down His life for His people. No man takes it from Him, but He laid down His life. Uh, for his people, and he went to the cross and bore all the sins of all his people. He did not become a sinner, but he took our sin upon him. It was laid on him, and God punished him as if it was us being punished. And he took away all our sin. He paid for it in full, and this is the fulfillment of the Savior, as is mentioned to those shepherds, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And so, as we come to this time of year, it's a, it's a uh, thought that we are given every day. Our Savior came to die for His people. Now He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. You know, last week I mentioned this little song that is sung, but most people don't have any understanding of the depth of what these words mean as Jesus was in the temple at 12 years of age, answering the questions, not asking questions, answering the questions of those great doctors of the law. It could have been said, what is your name? And he could have said, on my mother's side, my name is Jesus. But on my father's side, they call me Emmanuel. How old are you? On my mother's side, I'm 12 years of age. On my father's side, I've just always been. Where are you from? On my mother's side, I'm from Bethlehem. On my father's side, I'm from New Jerusalem. I'm from heaven. And what's your plan? 
On my mother's side I shall be crucified, and on my father's side in three days I'll arise and sit down at my father's side. Oh, as we think about these things, how glorious is the coming of Emmanuel, the expectation of prophets for centuries, the expectation of prophets for all the Old Testament, the expectation fulfilled in one day by this one Mary in Bethlehem when she brought forth her firstborn son. And then the gospel comes out and shares with us the good blessings of his coming, his death upon the cross, his resurrection from the grave, and sitting down at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for all his people. How glorious, and we thank him for it.